Morning Crypto. Good morning, Warriors. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of your favorite crypto news channel, Good Morning Crypto, where we bring you the most relevant and impactful crypto-related topics from a top crypto research team in the world. I'm your host, Abs, joined by several members of our 3T family this morning. We got Gonzo, also known as Super G, joining us on this Wednesday, or sorry, Thursday. Mario, also known as the Node Defender, is joining us. And we'll have Johnny Crypto right here 15 minutes late per usual on this Thursday. So we're, I'm very excited for today's show. Today on Good Morning Crypto, we'll be discussing how U.S. financial firms are flooding into the SEC offices this morning. As six new crypto ETF applications have been filed, marking a massive catalyst for crypto integration inside the United States. As XDC is making waves in tokenization this morning, bringing real-time assets onto their blockchain. Renowned economist and billionaire investor Jim Rickards explains his take on Bitcoin and XRP, telling the world that this currency is not what it seems. And with the digital revolution of a lifetime already upon us, we break down the details, showing our community how U.S. banks are creating the greatest opportunity of our era. Our show is available on your favorite podcast platforms like Spotify and Apple Music. And for those of you listening via podcast, our show is live on YouTube Monday through Friday, 11 a.m. Eastern at the 3T Warrior Academy channel. So Gonzo, today's a pretty exciting day because not only do we have some XDC and XRP news, the Ethereum applications are flooding in at the SEC. And you're the perfect guy to discuss this with. So first of all, how you feeling, my friend? Thanks for being here. I'm feeling good, dude. I'm, I'm feeling much better. I'm just really excited to be here with you guys. Uh, we had a great show yesterday. Anytime that I get to be with Mario, because I don't get to see him as much anymore. And there he is. There's Johnny Crypto. So we got all the boys in the house. We got the, you know, because we're always on a text thread. So we're always talking. But anytime that we're on the show together, it's awesome because we get to actually see each other. So it's going to be a good show. Really excited for today's episode, Mario. And one of the things that everybody's focused on this morning is the ETF application. But we're going to talk about some drastically high price targets out of Wells Fargo. As there's a video circulating on Twitter of an employee explaining how she got to 100 to $500 in price targets. So we can break down the rumors there. But first of all, how you feeling, my friend? Thanks for being here. Good morning, boys. Good morning, everybody out there. Good morning, everyone in the chat, watching live, watching in the future. Super excited to be here. It's a blessed Thursday indeed. And like Gonzo said, it's good to have the four boys together over here. So super excited about that. You know, $100, $200, $500, who knows? Some crazy predictions out there, but let's stay real here, guys. Absolutely. We'll stick to 589 in this group. And if anybody's here on time or late, it's Johnny Crypto, my friend. I'm trying hard not to make jokes this morning. But first of all, how you feeling, brother? I always appreciate when you make time for us. Well, first of all, some of us have to work for a living. I know you guys haven't made, but, you know. Hey, 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 you, hey. You, you young kids. Wait, wait, wait. Mario and Gonzo definitely kids. work. Mario and Gonzo definitely work. Abs, different conversation, but continue, Johnny. Yeah. I've exactly. been up since 2 a.m. at work, bro. I've been up since 2 a.m. I'm not talking about Gonzo. Gonzo doesn't – he works and never sleeps, and I never sleep and work always. But anyway, good morning to all the Warrior Maniacs out there. Love you guys. Appreciate it. Happy to be here with you every single day, especially on this beautiful sunny day. As you can see, the lake is just waiting for us. But nonetheless, can't wait to get started. Did I hear Lake House round two, Johnny Crypto? And I don't know why you fired shots at Mario. Mario's one of the hardest working men I know. But we're going to get this thing started. Mario. I wasn't fired at Mario, just for the record. Uh, well, you did. You did, though, by accident then. We're going to get this thing started the same way we always do by checking out our Good Morning Crypto Twitter account. That is at 3TGM Crypto on Twitter. We broke 5,000 followers, 5,020. We love talking to you. The Bitcoin Fear and Greed Index is in neutral this morning, sitting at a 53. When we look at some of the daily movers, 
Pulse Chain is up nearly 40%. XDC is also up 16% on the day. And we got Hex Token up nearly 13%. When we look at our Merlin Market update this morning, we are sitting at $1.17 trillion in market cap. Bitcoin is 49% dominance. Ethereum is about 19%. We've got Bitcoin sitting at 29000 Ethereum is 1800 And XRP is $0.67. Cents. And as you can tell, guys, it's going to be a spicy episode because we all got an attitude. But we're going to get this thing started with a very interesting video from our show yesterday discussing how XTC is in the process of changing payments forever. Why is nobody talking about XTC trade finance going live next month? XTC is about to go crazy this year. And we had another listener, Henry, down here. He said, highly consider XTC's integration into trade finance and supply chain management. This will be huge globally. And Quincy, you're the perfect person to address that. So are our listeners correct? Is this a massive development for the XTC network? Yeah, so you're seeing a lot of, so this is actually the funniest thing. There's a lot of engagement on XTC all the time. It's just in Singapore, India, uh, Korea. It's it's uh, it's not quite in the Western world. Oh, but that's, that's the thing. It actually, uh, when it was created by Zinfian, it was originated in Singapore. So there's actually a lot of activity going on XTC all the time. You just don't see it in the United, you don't see it in the American news because a lot of that activity is uh, being sourced uh, overseas. Now, I think you're seeing a lot more activity Gonzo, it almost sounds like he's discussing Ripple here. They can't use their product in the United States, but they are able to use this new technology overseas. What I really wanted to focus on is the technology that's being used to digitalize contracts, and that's XDC. When we see the banking system shift away from paper and into digital, it's markets like XDC and XRP that are going to profit the most. We already got 240 live listeners here. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And Gonzo, what do you think? Is tokenized contracts going to change the game for XDC? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and it's funny because you always hear people talk about like, well, why do you need blockchain? Why do you need blockchain? And you're seeing an actual use case, right? It's not just about value being transferred from uh, one point to another, but you're talking about like whether it's digital identity or document identity, right? Being able to verify an actual document. When it comes to the traditional finance system, you need a lot of that. And you could already see how that's, that, that's played out, like the good news um, you know, if you go off the bottom of like last year's bottom, which is the the real bottom, you're up 300% on XCC. If the local bottom of this year, it's about 200%. It's corrected a little bit. So, you know, don't go FOMO in, wait for a pullback. But, um, you know, I think we're going to start seeing this more and more uh, where you're going to get like good news or real, real, par- not just the partnerships, but a real use case that's being implemented and we're going to start to see it reflect in some of the price action in some of these projects. Mario, one of the things that we've, we're going to be discussing later in the show is the application of Ethereum ETFs. But before we get into the hard evidence of why that's taking place, I just want to get a broad question from you. Do you believe we're going to see any crypto ETFs approved this year? Bitcoin, Ethereum, XRP, what is your opinion? Hmm, that's a great question, Abs. Um, I mean, there's certainly a lot of pressure on the SEC to get one of these ETFs approved, especially knowing that we have BlackRock involved. Now, BlackRock is also being investigated. I'm not, I don't know if you guys have covered that on the show. They're being investigated by the U.S. government for potentially aiding China. But um, I don't know, man. Um, I'm going to go on a limb, go out on a limb and say yes. I believe we will see one, especially from Bitcoin. Ethereum, I'm not too sure. But I would say that Bitcoin at this point is at a... Um, I believe Bitcoin is at a point where it does deserve a Bitcoin ETF and it, it's kind of overdue in the United States. So I believe it will come out uh, for Bitcoin. For Ethereum, maybe next year. 
I think you're right. I do think we're going to get into it later on in the episode, but we already have the news that six Ethereum ETFs were filed over the week. And Johnny, this is a video from Jim Rickards, who I'm sure you know of, a billionaire and renowned economist in America. He's explaining how Bitcoin is good for one thing and one thing only. That would be money laundering. But he also gives a take on XRP I think many of our listeners are going to be happy with. So here's the latest update out of Jim Rickards. Either one of you have an opinion on Bitcoin? Because a lot of the younger crowd, not Bitcoin, but crypto in general, a lot of the young, younger crowd sees that as a replacement for gold. Guilty. Bitcoin has no use case other than um, tax evaders, uh, terrorists, uh, and worse. Uh, yeah, and it's uh, so it'll get to two hundred dollars a coin, which is kind of a residual criminal value. Uh, but all this stuff about you know six thousand dollars is all nonsense. There are some cryptos that are working with regulators and are working with. Banks. I agree. Ripple right. would be an example. Ripple would be an example, right? Now, this is a, and, and I, can, I can imagine in the next five years, instead of us doing sterling against the dollar or sterling against yen and doing these kinds of transactions, we'll do sterling versus Ripple. And the reason being, dollar right now is a two-day settlement. With something like Ripple, you could do settlement in seconds. So I think that Ripple has a great future because it's right now supported by all the banks and by all the regulators. Now, Johnny, I don't know about that last sentence being supported by all the regulators, but what we do know is Ripple XRP is the only token in the United States with clarity. And for that reason, I do think it could be one of the first to see adoption. So broadly, do you agree with Jim Rickards that at the end of the day, Bitcoin's good for one thing and one thing only? That's money laundering. And that Bitcoin and XRP are built for different purposes. Well, Professor Abs, do we know how old that video is? Because he was talking about Bitcoin at 6,000 or 200. That had to be in a very old video, no? It's an, it's an edited video. That's the thing. It's a, it's two takes. So I okay. would say it's, I would say it's from, I guess, 2018. Okay. That makes sense. All right. Yeah. So, you know, obviously he was way wrong. Right? <laughs> He's saying, you know, being at $200 and we're sitting at, you know, as high as 60 and now at 30 solidly. Uh, so his, his, his take was completely wrong. Now, I guess back then, you know, you could make the argument and people thought that, you know, Bitcoin was not going to go anywhere. It was early on, but I think, the world has changed. The world has evolved. And I think Bitcoin is here to stay. I, I would love to ask Rickards that question now and see what his his perspective would be, because I think it would he'd be smart to change it. If he still thinks that, I think he's wrong. I think the reality is gold is, I mean, uh, silver is, uh, silver. Bitcoin will be, uh, you know, what, what they call the digital gold. There's no question about it. I was um, in a group chat or tweet or spaces or whatever the hell it's called now X spaces a few weeks ago abs. And I was in with a bunch of younger kids and it was funny. There were some older folks in there too. And they were talking about how gold is, you know, something they, they believe and hold on to for the long-term future wealth. But all the kids, they're like, no, it's Bitcoin. Nobody wants to own gold. They all want to own Bitcoin. So you have to think the way the world works is it's going to go by the mentality of the future generations. And if the future generation, like you guys, believe that Bitcoin is digital gold, and that when your parents and grandparents pass the gold on down to you, that you guys are like, I don't want this shit. I want to transfer and get Bitcoin. The Bitcoin is going to transform. And I think, I think you know, it's going to be here as a form to say. So I think Rickards is wrong. I don't think it's going to be used just for criminal activity. I think that's already been proven. In fact, the criminals came out and said, we're not using Bitcoin because you can track it. So 
Sorry, Johnny, I didn't mean to cut you off. I was going to say, yep, exactly there. I couldn't agree more. And one of the things that you broke down is the boomers versus the Zoomers, the Bitcoiners versus the gold maximalists. But luckily enough, we need to talk to Mark Yusko. We got to get Mark Yusko back on our show for one reason in particular. I need to hear his take on the XRP ruling and how that affects his crypto investments going forward. You'll be happy to know that I got Yusko coming back on the show. He will be coming on in August, so I just haven't told you yet. That's really, really exciting. So thank you. Shout out to Johnny Crypto, one of the best in the business. And we got 355 live listeners here joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And Gonzo, I know what you're going to talk about, so we may as well get into the news today. As the SEC is now ready to consider Ethereum futures ETF, sources say, but what's changed with the agency? As we're seeing this morning, funding groups are pushing towards an ETF application that would hold Ether futures contracts after efforts to do so earlier this year were put to a halt. Volatility shares filed for a product on Friday, as well as Grayscale Investments, Bitwise, Roundhill Investments, ProShares, and Van Eyck, all filing for futures Ethereum ETFs. The SEC has indicated its readiness to publicly consider such a product. However, the regulator's willingness to weigh in on Ether future ETFs does not guarantee their approval. From a product perspective, all these ETF issuers are probably thinking it's worth the cost of filing rather than risk falling behind in their ETF application process. And the SEC's willingness to consider these offerings is a considerable reversal from May when the U.S. uh, Securities and Exchange Commission told firms not to apply for these ETFs as we do not have clarity. And we do have a clip corresponding to this, Gonzo, but broadly, I'd like to ask you, do you think we'll get a futures ETF approved in America during 2023? Um, so I'm of the least, so if you look at the Bitcoin ETF, right? So, uh, BlackRock was not the first, um, ARK investment was, and their clock has already started. So they already started that kind of 45, 45 day window where they're delayed support or deny, right? So that first deadline where the, where the SEC has to either support or deny comes up, uh, on June 10th. So obviously they can approve anything, uh, before that, but the guys that do ETFs, They've moved up the percentage-wise from 50% to about 65%. But that's the actual deadline. So I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see anything until like the beginning of next year. As far as the um, the Ethereum futures ETF, um, there's definitely been a shift in the SEC because when they filed for these last a few months ago, they kind of got the the the, the nod or the shake off to, hey, you should not submit these because they're not going to get approved because everyone pulled their application. Now everybody's kind of resubmitting them and you're not getting that same kind of shake off from the SEC, but it's still a process. So I would say, you know, you probably get the Bitcoin ETF first and then you get the futures ETF for ETH. And remember, it's not a spot ETF for Ethereum. It's a futures product, right? So it's going to have to roll out on the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, CME. But definitely like the article is spot on. These guys are taking a gamble, right? And they're gambling that they'd rather for the money that they have to spend on the processing of the application, they'd rather get ahead of it. And even if they get denied, um, it's, it's worth it to them because if they get approved, it, it, you always look at like who gets these things approved first, they end up taking a huge part of the market share. Just like uh, I think it was Bitwise did with the uh, Bitcoin futures ETF. They own about 96, 98% of the total market uh, of, of the futures uh, Bitcoin ETF market. Gonzo, I just want to ask a brief question before we play this video. So give me a quick response. What do you believe the impact would be if an ETF was launched in the United States? I'm not talking spot. We're talking futures ETFs. Don't even explain the difference. But what do you believe the impact would be? 
Um, I think it's a spot. I think it's a shift in the right direction, but it still doesn't affect the underlying asset. But as far as like what it means for the SEC and them kind of shifting on their stance, I think it's it's a big deal. But uh, uh, but you know what we're still waiting for is the spot ETF. This is another guy that Johnny Crypto pointed out a couple of weeks ago. I think it'd be a great idea to have him on the show, Johnny. Frederick Rispoli was actually doing an interview with one of our friends, Brad Kimes. And what they're describing right here is how the SEC has given zero clarity to Ethereum. And that's what's keeping an ETF from being launched. Um, and, you know, we've got the, this is a written opinion now that the um, SEC you know, doesn't have any final position on Ethereum. So it is still completely up in the air as to whether it's a security or not in the SEC's eyes. Again, I don't think the token itself is a security or the network itself, um, but you know, it is unclear right now. It is unclear, Johnny Crypto, and I do have some thoughts of my own. We got 383 listeners here. Show us some love. Smash that like button, but I want to get a take from you before we kick it to Mario. In your opinion, does the ICO qualify Ethereum as a security? Obviously, it's decentralized enough at this point to be considered other than an investment contract. But when you look at the initial sales, that's where it gets really confusing. So I just love to hear your take and we'll kick to Mario. So Abs, I don't know the actual facts or details of that because I haven't really, I don't think it was done so long ago. But from the things I heard and saw, Vitalik say, it certainly sounded like the things he was promising and the things he was doing come across hands down as meaning the Howey test. And therefore, yes, I would say that the ICO probably 99%, 99.9% chance would, 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 would fail or I'm sorry, would fail, you know, meaning it would most likely be a security. So I don't think there's any question really about that just based on those, those factual things that I've heard. Um, but of course the real facts are, are what matters, but if he did promise to investors a gain on work he was going to do, or his entity was going to do, the Ethereum foundation was going to do, then yes, that is the definition of a security. And, um, and that part is going to be nailed down. They're going to lose that just the way Ripple did. Now, if you look at the way they're operating today, you know, I don't think there's any question around now that anybody would think that Ethereum is being offered, you know, as a security today. I and mean, nobody's promising any gains on it. It's being adopted by all the apps around the world and everybody's using it. And it's kind of the cat is out of the bag. And I, you know, I don't, the horse is out of the barn and running the race. And so, no, I don't, I don't think it, it is today uh, the case that it's a security. So it's literally, as I said, I almost feel it would have the same exact ruling as Ripple had. And that's what's interesting, Johnny. I want to give our listeners an update on the live poll that we have running in the chat right now. The question was, do you believe an XRP or Ethereum ETF will be approved by the end of the year? 60% of the 182 that voted said, yes, one of those will be approved in the United States, while 40% said no. And Johnny, this is a brief follow-up right before we kick it to Mario. And uh, an ex-CFTC attorney sees an XRP ETF potential amid the rampant crypto ETF filings. And obviously it's a safe conclusion to say if Ethereum gets an ETF, XRP could be very quick to follow as it's the only token with clarity in the United States. So I'm going to ask you very briefly, do you think this is the case? If we get an Ethereum ETF, is XRP quick to follow, Johnny? Ah, mute button, I think. Oh yeah, the mute button got me. I pulled the ads. Um, you know, that's an interesting 
This guy threw me under the bus this morning. An X, I love you, man. An XRP ETF. I never, um, I, you know, I think XRP may get bundled into like a whole, uh, maybe a crypto ETF, but a specific ETF on just XRP alone. That's a great question, Abs. Um, God, I haven't given a lot of thought to that. I, I, because I kind of viewed it more as it would be bundled. So I don't know. Here's what I would ask you, actually, because maybe I gave too broad of a question. With the regulatory uncertainty removed off of Ripple and removed off of XRP, what are some of the biggest hurdles you see for for an XRP ETF being approved? Right? If there's nothing standing in their way, I don't see why the product wouldn't be offered. Yeah, I think there just has to be. I think there has to be. You know. So Bitcoin has its own thing, right? A good chunk of the people in the world are invested in Bitcoin and they believe it's digital gold. A good chunk of the world believes in ETH and it's been a smart contract world and a big chunk. But then there's a very, very small, small piece of the world that's invested in, in, in the other stuff. So I, I don't know if it's going to be one of those things where you'll see individual ETFs for those. I think they'll be bundled into like if you look at etfs today you'll find etfs around energy or you know etfs around uh different uh segments in the market so maybe there's a payment etf and that might include like xlm xrp hbar you know all the payment type thing i could see I it that being, i could see it being part of so you'll have like you have the oil etfs you have precious metal etfs you got energy ETFs. You got banking ETFs. I could see that kind of a segmentation of the crypto space where you might have a gaming ETF. You may have a payment ETF, smart contract ETF, but its own individual one. I don't, I don't think so. But it wouldn't surprise me if it happens because it's the third largest uh, market cap. Does that make sense? That's kind of what I'm thinking. But I'm curious what Gonzo, really Gonzo thinks. I really like the concept that you that you described right there, Johnny, of a payments-based ETF, a securities-based ETF, a store of value-based ETF. Fragmenting this market is what's the most likely case scenario. And I think we even saw that with BlackRock's application, where only 85% of their Bitcoin ETF was going to be BlackRock, and they were going to incorporate other cryptocurrencies. We got 395 live listeners here joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And Gonzo... I want to get your thoughts on this XRP ETF before we show a new Bank of America patent using Ripple's technology. Don't forget the Merlin yeah, he, ETF, Mr. Wright. He nailed yeah, it. Yeah, right. There you go, the Merlin ETF. Um, I, I think that um, it's one of those things where as much as people dislike Ethereum, you have to keep an eye on it because if they do approve a futures one, then I think that XRP would be like next in line. And closely right after that, I think the other determining factor will be price action, right? It's like the shiny object or the new toy. If we get some significant price action into XRP, that's going to bring attention to it. The media is going to jump onto it. And then you can see kind of like that frenzy where they're going to start trying to push it uh, as an ETF. But it, it could also be like something like Johnny's talking about where it's a combination of stuff. Like maybe they throw in, like he's saying, a bunch of payments one, XCC, XLM. Uh, and XRP, or maybe they just try combining like Bitcoin, Ethereum, and XRP, right? They throw them all together into one ETF. But, and remember, we already have crypto ETFs outside of the United States, right? And so this would just be like inside the United States because 
there are a lot of ETFs that they have in the UK, especially now with the regulatory clarity that they have. Um, they're starting to kind of spin up more and more. Absolutely. And Mario, I'd like to get your opinion as well. Obviously, we believe that XRP's ETF would be approved if Ethereum was. What are some of the biggest hurdles that you see? Why wouldn't an XRP ETF be launched? There's no lawsuit. We got clarity. I don't really see the hurdles here. Well, I, th I think it certainly makes more sense for an XRP ETF to be approved or launched before an Ethereum. We know that Ethereum has that free pass. We know that they've been having this, uh, this kind of protection. But right now, XRP has got this uh, official statement. You know, legally, XRP is not a security. We don't know if they're still going to go after Ethereum, especially for early sales, the same way that, uh, that they know that they got a ruling against Ripple. So... I think it makes more sense for XRP to have an ETF first. Now, is the SEC going to continue to go after other projects? If they do, that could loom, that could be another cloud above uh, the crypto market. And obviously things like ETFs could, could be stalled and delayed until that cloud, that dark cloud gets, uh, gets passed. But I certainly think that an XRP ETF is, uh, in my opinion, more in the cards. But knowing that Ethereum has got this free pass, who knows, maybe Ethereum does get the ETF before XRP does, or maybe both of them do. Absolutely, Johnny. And I'm excited to get your take on this crypto patent we're showing right now. We got 405 listeners here. This is an old Bank of America patent focused on real-time payments. And the reason I want to ask Johnny Crypto his opinion is because he's got 25 years as an engineer in the technological industry. That's more than I've been alive, guys, which is pretty exciting. So we are looking at the Bank of America patent right here, Johnny Crypto. And as you can see, Ripple's DLT technology is fundamental to the use case. What I really want to focus on here is obviously the patent's five years old. Is this still applicable to the market today? With all the clarity that we're receiving for the market, could we see patents like this become more important? Okay, so forget these figures and things like this. When you want to know the significance of a patent, Go into the section that says claims, claim. And in that section, they will list the technology that they're claiming, that, that they've been granted. And that is what matters, is what the actual claim is. So they're not going to get a claim, for example, on Ripple's um, patent or technology. But here they're showing you. You know, an example now, now in patents, you do two things. You show what's already out there today and you show what you're trying to do to make it better. If this is showing what they're trying to do to make it better, then it's more significant. If it's showing what's out there today and what's being used, then it's not as then, then that means they're not using it. It's just showing you what they're going to do different to make it better. And I can't read any of this. It's too, too small. So hard to say. But to me, this is most likely them describing the invention. And if it is, then yes, abs, it would hold some more weight and some more water because it tells you that they're most likely going to maybe adopt a system like that, in, you know, or want to use elements of that system in their invention. And this really is a question, I guess it's for Johnny Crypto as well, but if they could have chosen any currency and they chose Ripple, is that significant? Does that really play into it? Or do you think it's literally a pick of the hat? They chose the third biggest crypto. Oh, no, 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 no. They definitely chose it because they there's this is why it's significant. If they were choosing it to demonstrate the uh, their invention, then it's significant because then it means like, OK, this is the technology that they think is is enabling a part of the invention. Um, it's kind of like if you have a chair with three legs and you add a fourth leg to it, you know, you made the invention better. And what they're saying is you take this ripple technology 
plus what we're trying to invent and you couple it together and it makes this new thing. And that's what they're claiming, right? Or that's what they're getting. And that makes it significant because it means they, they could potentially adopt that technology as, you know, as so they take the existing technology and they did something to make it better. And that would be, that would then be significant. So it all depends on how that is, is, is uh, how that, how that patent was written and put together. I need to find some time and I can try to take a look at actually send me that pat when you get a chance and I'll take a look through when I get some time. I'll DM it to you on Twitter, my friend. And we got so many listeners here. This is an exciting list. This is an exciting video for every single one of you as a Wells Fargo treasury management official was breaking down why she had such drastically high price targets for XRP telling her Twitter followers. She believes XRP could reach three digits by the end of the year. And this video we're about to show is explaining exactly how she got to those drastically high price targets. Um, I was in the banking world. I've been in banking since 2006. Um, at the time when I uh, you know, found out about XRP, I was actually working in cash operations. And that's kind of how I've always looked at it was that cash is one day gonna go bye-bye. Like it, it's, not, it's not gonna be a thing anymore. Um, <sighs> have to be is this recorded this is like going to be recorded right i just want to preface this guy so it's very funny she doesn't even know this twitter space is going to be recorded right so she's like what should i say here but johnny do you agree really briefly before i play the whole clip she's saying cash is going to go away this is a banking official she's speaking the unspoken right now so i just wanted to get your take how far away are we in your opinion from cash being irrelevant in our global economy so my mom went to the bank I think it was about a year or two years ago she was actually i think telling you guys a story the other day when you were at the house and uh, she was talking to the banker and she, or the cashier, and, and the cashier said to her, um, yes, we're trying to do away with cash. And she, you know, she didn't give a time frame. The banker didn't give a time frame to my mom or when they were getting rid of cash. But this was maybe a year or two ago when this happened. And I remember my mom telling me the story, tells me all the time. Like, the banks are going to get rid of cash. Like, yeah, Ma, I know. That's exactly what we're saying. We're moving to a cashless society. So there's no doubt about it. And that was an older video, I think, that you played. Uh, but Or maybe it wasn't. But uh, yes, Abs, uh, to answer your question is we are definitely headed into a place where cash is going away. Um, but it's going to be one of those things where it's going to be a slow transition just the way they transitioned us from cash to credit card. That was like a 30 year transition. I remember I got my first credit card. You weren't even born. Mario wasn't born. Gonzo was more on my age. So, so he was born and not in diapers. And, you know, Gonzo probably got his credit card around, you know, 17, 18 too. I remember working at a bank actually. I'm like, what the hell is this credit card thing? You know, we had the paper to slide then. Um, and so that started out 30 years ago. And now credit cards, you know, we've transitioned now where almost everybody uses a credit card and nobody has cash in their wallet. The next logical transition now will be from credit card to just cashless completely. And to me, that's going to be something that is not going to happen overnight. That's going to be a migration for the next, you know, 10 to 15 years. And as crypto becomes more prominent, that's going to help accelerate the process as well, Abs. Absolutely, Johnny. And I really like that take. But Gonzo, I want to ask you, Mr. Wright commented and said this crypto migration has been happening for 15 years already. Do you agree? I, I like what Johnny Crypto said. It's a very slow transition to the 30 year process. But how far into that process do you believe we are? You know, uh, when you hear so we, we always talk about like Ripple and we talk about XRP and the payment systems that they're building. But there are a lot of other payment systems. When you talk about Solana Pay. 
and tip link and 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 then you have like all the layer twos and the payment systems that they're building on the layer twos that are especially after eip 4844 comes out which is the proto dank sharding thing it's really going to make the layer two scaling solutions even cheaper and you have all these different payment solutions that are being built on them like beam where it's basically like a venmo but it's using account abstraction that's been a huge thing just like zk rollups account abstraction has been a very big technology that's moved payments forward on like the ethereum like layer two scaling solutions right um you have link or chain link that's been working on ccip which is kind of an interledger protocol thing where you have value that's being moved across the different blockchains they have a test net like on avalanche and a lot of the other layer twos so you you have the infrastructure that's being built right now it's just a matter of which one of these is going to like catch on right which one's going to catch on with merchants? Which one's going to catch on with like retailers where it's actually being used? But all of that's being built right now. Uh, I, I know Beeb is being used right now. It, it's having some issues. That's the one where they make like what's called the magic link and you can text money or crypto on WhatsApp, on your phone, on all these different things. And so it just it's just a matter of continuing it to build it so it can scale so it doesn't have issues like it's having issues right now and then which one catches on right which which one gets built where everyone starts using it kind of like a, a venmo or a zelle mario it's like they say it's not timing the market it is time in the market and that's what this woman's breaking down right here we got 429 live listeners joining us show us some love smash that like button to mario i'm coming to you first after this wells fargo video uh we could start up another non-record if you want um, well, I just kind of have to be careful with what I put out in the universe. Um, but Understood. I'll just say that there are countries who are already moving away from cash. Right. I mean, we've seen, and we've seen that. It's, it doesn't look like yeah. public. It's pretty much public knowledge as well. Yeah. And then the and, pandemic um, sped that up uh, a lot. Testing that. Um, whether anyone agrees with me or not, like, that's just what I believe. Um but yeah, so for instance, over in other countries, like any new customer, they're not going to be offered any product or service that um, requires check or cash. Wow. And that's for every new customer. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's happening. But when you try to come out into the space and talk about it, people are like, well, where's your proof? Where's your proof? And I'm like, I'm an, an employee. Like, I can't give you the proof. <laughs> like, I, I just, I don't know what more I can do to kind of help wake people up that there is going to be a major um global financial shift the great thing about this space is that everyone is spot on like when i entered this space it was to only confirm what i hear what i see um so everything that's going on right now it is happening it is real um i don't i don't really know how to express it or explain it more than that um, without, you know, putting my career on the line, <laughs> but, um, I'm not under an NDA, but I am under, you know, or I can't speak to things specifically with Wells Fargo. Um, and so I won't, but I can say that this is going to be global. We already know that. And, uh, I, I just I don't know what else I'm allowed to say from here. I still have to you know talk back with corporate. I haven't even talked to them yet. Yeah, Shannon, um, fully. Honestly, just, I, I really don't even think Ripple. I feel would be 
they will be the B1 uh, entity, I guess I could say, um, that is going to take over global payments. I just see it. Um, that's my personal opinion. I don't work for Ripple. I'm not endorsed by Ripple. So I, I can, I'm going to pause it here briefly because she said so much. I think there's a natural shift happening into better technologies, and that's what she's kind of emphasizing, Gonzo. We've often emphasized the relationships that Ethereum has and why they've been able to experience adoption. We're seeing a fundamental shift, not only with the Ripple ruling, but with the sentiment among the banks. And so, Mario, I just want to get your thoughts very briefly. She's saying, trust me, bro. I guess the, the that's the what I would take away from this clip. She's like, I can't give you any proof. I can't give you any hard evidence, but this is what I know is taking place. And we see that on basically every single YouTube channel out there. So is her, is her word more credible than I guess the average YouTuber pumping XRP, let's say? Well, that's a tough question, man. I mean, more credible, uh, maybe she knows something. And so for that reason, yes, because she's right there, but I didn't really hear anything new. That makes sense. Like we all know this stuff is happening. We can see all the connections, all the dots, all the partnerships that are being built. Ripple's thriving outside of the United States. Now there's no reason for them to not thrive inside of the United States because banks are going to feel way more um, comfortable and confident in partnering with Ripple, knowing that this looming cloud is no, no longer above them. But um, I don't know. I didn't really hear anything new besides the fact that she does sound like she's, she knows something and she's scared of saying it because she might be uh, under an NDA or maybe she can't reveal it. Um, but besides that, I don't know. I mean, I'm still excited, you know, before even listening to what she said, I was already excited. So I didn't really get that much excited. What is pretty cool is how she get she can't break down exactly how she got to those high price targets. But what she said is there's going to be a shift in banking incentive to move away from checks, move away from cash and into digital assets. That's how you get these drastically high price targets. And Johnny, I know we got Mark Yusko coming on the show in August, but I just read an article yesterday. Mark Yusko thinks $30 trillion are going to come into this market over the next five years. And I think she's just explaining how a lot of that is going to flood into XRP. Mm, they will be the B1 uh, entity, I guess I could say, um, that is going to take over global payments. I just see it. Um, that's my personal opinion. I don't work for Ripple. I'm not endorsed by Ripple. They're going to make a dent in the universe. You know, They've said it too. Yeah. And I mean, there's a huge problem globally within the financial system. And honestly, no bank has been able to communicate with one another ever. That's never been a thing. Bank of America cannot communicate with Wells Fargo. That's why we have SWIFT and every all these other third parties in place. These banks cannot communicate. And I feel like that is where the game changer is with Ripple. Is that this puts everyone on the same network. And I just minds this is bigger than what most people can fathom in their own minds and i'm just trying to push the info out there i mean i just i don't know how else to yeah, and, and, get and people Shannon, on board before it's too late it's really interesting, right? Like, why is she so incentivized to allow XRP investors to profit? We got 444 live listeners here. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And Gonzo, I do just want to get your thoughts. She said a lot in that video. I can ask a question, but first, tell me what's on your mind. Yeah, you know, like Mario said, you know, there's a reason why, you know, we invest in XRP and why it's most of our biggest, like, holdings, right? Because we believe in the tech. So it doesn't make me like any more excited because it's things that we like 
already knew, I, I, you know, and maybe she is more credible. Maybe she isn't. But um, I, I think that Justin from Greenberg Holding uh, brings up an excellent point that, you know, we're so early that they're just building all of this right now. But really, it's when it catches and you don't even know that you're using these blockchains or these protocols or, or what have you, that you just use it without talking about it. That, that's really when um, that's like the end game, right? That, that's when really the value of all this kicks in when you're able to just move it seamlessly and no one is really thinking about the underlying base layer that it's built on top of. Like that, that is the, that, that is the whole thing with web two, right? Like, remember when we went from web one to web two, everything was seamless and you were able to move communication um, from, you know, one area to another. Right. And so that's kind of where we're at right now with web three or all of these payment systems or what have you, all the infrastructure is being built, but it'll be when you won't even know that it's moving um, on, you know, ripple or it's moving on XRP. It just happens. And Johnny Crypto, I love what she said about the banks finally being able to communicate with one another. I think that's something that blockchain not only solves, but Ripple has a competitive advantage in that particular market. Over 300 financial institutions around the world have met or are partnered with Ripple. And I think at some point, they're going to be using their product to communicate with one another. So what really stuck out to you about that video? And do you believe that Ripple's a solution for banks to communicate? Well, a couple of things. I mean, first of all, I'm going to reach out to her and see if we can get her on the show. It'd be good to have her come on. Agreed. Um, but, um, you know, I was just looking at her Twitter page and going through it. She's definitely a, a feels like an XRP maximalist. So you got to take that with a grain of salt. Um, but she's 100% right when it comes to the fact that the banks, here we are in 2023, and these banks still can't talk to each other. And in fact, if you remember when we had uh, Quincy on the show yesterday, he talked about, and this is true, the reason why some of the banks invented Zelle, you probably have all heard of Zelle, that was one of their attempts to solve the communication problem of trying to uh, get the banks to talk to each other. So, you know, and, and, and there are a few banks using it now and they're, and they're starting, and that was probably phase one into closing the gap of these banks not being able to talk to each other. To me, I feel like quant is a better solution to have all the banks communicating and talking to each other. You know, that would be one layer where they would have the same common language cross chain. Because I don't think they're all going to be using the same, um, uh, what's the word? The same, um, they may not all use uh, Ripple, right? There may be different blockchains that they're using for whatever choices. And, and you want the, you want the banks to have that flexibility but then you need something to allow them to all connect together. And I think quant is a better, better solution. What the hell does that say? Plus real <laughs> I got plenty of light back there. What's he talking about? I got natural light, baby. But, uh, you know, so to me, it's one of those things where. It said don't uh, have the light back there. Oh, don't have. Well, what do you want me to do? It's a beautiful view back there. But anyway, I mean, can't go the other way, but you won't like that view. <laughs> anyway, abs to me, I think that. She's right. There will definitely be something that has to bridge the gap to bring the communication coming together. I think, you know, there's going to be blockchain technology in the ISO. Yes, exactly right here. The ISO 2020, 2202 is going to certainly be one of the things that will help. 22 will be, will help to kind of allow these banks to pick something that could be on the same common, you know, language, if you will. 
But to me, and that's why kind of why they have the Swift system. But the Swift system needs to be replaced, and it will. And I think you're looking at technologies like Quant and Ripple that are leading the way to be able to do that. Gonzo, I do want to get your thoughts as well. And this morning we had Ripple that was actually uh, elected as a top 200 financial firm on the planet. And I'm just looking for the article here. Luckily, I just found it for our listeners. And guys, we got 460 people here. Show us some support. Smash that like button. If you enjoy these episodes, be sure to subscribe and turn on the notification bell. We go live every single weekday at 11 a.m. But from the banking giants to lending up to commerce, here are the world's top 200 fintech companies. And we're not going to bore our listeners with this list. But as I scrolled through this morning, again, Ripple was selected as number as one of the number one fintech companies on the planet, Gonzo. That's not more validation for our project. I really don't know what is. But do you believe that Ripple is the solution for banks to communicate with one another? They've got hundreds of patents, hundreds of NDAs. But you tell me, is this the time we've all been waiting for? Yeah, you know, it does sure feel that way, right? And we know that that's where the future's at. It's, it's inter, interchain, right? Or where all the chains can communicate. Um, and you know, they already have RippleNet, right? It, it, it started off as a messaging service, right? So that they can message each other because once they can solve the inner message problem, then they can, um, I think it's a quick jump to moving value, right? First you're moving messages and then you can move value. Um, but they're all working on it. So, but like Ripple already has the relationships, but like I was talking about earlier, uh, Chainlink, right? Johnny likes Quant, but Chainlink is kind of jumping to the fray with this CCIP. That's what it's all about. Like, it's already got a test net where you've got um, Arbitrum, Avalanche, Ethereum, Optimism, and Polygon all on a test net where they're able to move value interchain, right? So they're all working on some type of solution of it. Um, but um, I, I think that's kind of where the future is because we're going to have different blockchains that are very specific for different things. Like we said before, one for payments one that's going to be good for like governments, right? And maybe identity and document ID and all of these blockchains will have to communicate together. And that's why these guys are starting to focus on, on inner ledger or, or um, multi-chain so that these chains can all communicate with each other. Gonzo, this is a brief article I'd like to get a follow-up on. European developers are joining the VeChain partnership to focus on blockchain technology. We have the UFC as an official partner of VeChain. This is a project we don't talk about too often, but if any of our listeners are new to VeChain, this is built for supply chains. We've got companies like Amazon and Walmart that are, have deep connections to this project. The question I have for you, Gonzo, is we talk about a segmented market. Do you believe VeChain is going to dominate the supply chain market? You know, that's what we're betting on. I, I sure, uh, I, I hope so, right? I mean, it, it seems like that's what it was built for. You know, it's been kind of quiet. The price action hasn't been, done very much. But in that time, like in this bear market, it appears when you look at their relationships that they're just continuing to build. And it's just a matter of time. Just like we saw with XDC, right? Where it just laid quiet, but they're like still building and building and building. And now all of a sudden, some of the announcements go out on some of the tech and what it does and the price action moves. I think it'll be the same thing with VeChain where it's been kind of accumulating here for a long period of time, but they're going to come out with some type of announcement that has to do with the tech or maybe a partnership. And then we're going to get some of that positive price action. Not only is it a very interesting time for VeChain, it's a very interesting time for banks as now they finally have the opportunity to leverage Ripple's technology in the United States. And this is an article I'm very excited to show our listeners. 
So yesterday we played a video of Monica Long, Ripple's president, explaining how many U.S. companies are pursuing opportunities with Ripple. Monica Long, the president of Ripple, recently announced plans for the company to expand its engagement in the U.S. market following the court ruling on XRP. So, Johnny, with the ETF conversation, with the market conversation, what do you believe? What's really keeping U.S. companies away from leveraging Ripple? Um, mute button. Yep, sorry, mute. Um, you, you know, I think nothing now at this point. I mean, well, no, let me rephrase. So a, a part of that ruling where, you know, front where it talked about Ripple being, you know, sold as security as, as SEC, is sorry, uh, Ripple being sold up front can be a security, could be something that might give them some reservations, abs. I think it has to be very, very careful how they go about getting a hold of the cryptocurrency they're going to use it. That's going to be the tricky part. Um, however, we do know that, so for example, the sales of the um, escrow happens, I think, on a monthly basis at about a billion. I think they offer a billion a month out there. Now, the question is, is that sales being considered because an escrow that I believe was held by Ripple is the sale of that, and I don't know this answer to this question. This would be a Rispoli, or we got to get Rispoli on the show, see if I can get them on next week. It would be great to see, would be great to know if if an exchange or an entity or an institution wanted to buy that offering from the escrow. Is that considered a, a security because of the way it was ruled? I don't know the answer to the question. To me, though, to answer your question, if it were, that would be something that I think would hold them back. But if that isn't the case, then, you know, there really shouldn't be much to hold them back at this point. I mean, they could literally go out and buy XRP right off of the exchanges if they wanted to. So but that's not how they work. They usually like to buy it, you know, in the in the uh, what do they call that uh, when you buy uh, off in the back? I OTC. Yeah, OTC. you buy over. No, it, um, yeah, not, like not over the counter, but you but yeah, you buy like in the background, like at stocks, you buy after four o'clock. And you buy in the background. Yeah. It's like a dark purchase. Nobody sees it. I forgot what that's called. But that's typically how the big institutions like to buy in big blocks, like you said, at a cheaper price. So uh, that's a good question that we would need to find out from Espolia is if the escrow would be considered a security if purchased from them. I, I don't know the answer to that question. It's always dark fun. pools. That's it. Dark pools. That's what I was looking for. Interesting. Thank you, Thank you AKAs. Gonzo, another interesting narrative we love to talk about is price targets. And people were anticipating $1, $5, $10, even $30 after this lawsuit. Little did we know we got to 80 cents. And we were saying that for a long time on our channel. So I do want to ask you, do you believe, and this is just a brief topic here, do you believe we're in the process of a much larger breakout? Or was that 80 cent mark really the top for the XRP breakout when it comes to the lawsuit? Well, you know, we got rejected at 93 cents and then we, we figured that the support was going to be at 65, which I think we claimed close to th this morning. Uh, and so it seems like it's just kind of a normal retrace. So, but we do need liquidity in the market, right? So if Bitcoin decides to move and get back up to 30K and break that 30K, then yeah, I definitely think XRP is going to move and we're going to get into that golden pocket, which is where like, you know, we see that like 93 to a dollar ten level. Um, but like if we don't get any liquidity in the market or we start to roll over, uh, then, you know, we're going to have issues at least until next year. Right. It, like this is not the bull run. Right. Th this is just what we call a bull trap overall in the market. And so 
um, way different than what we're talking about like next year, right? Uh, but yeah, we definitely need uh, Bitcoin to to bring money into the market so that it can flow down into like XRP and some of the alt, other altcoins. So what you're saying is you don't believe we're going to need a catalyst. You just think if Bitcoin moves, it's going to drag XRP with it, correct? Yeah, that's pretty much it. Because for now, like it, it runs the market, right? And And until XRP or one of the other ones shows us something different where it can run and it can pull the market with it, uh, that, that's what we have, right? And, and, and I don't think it's always going to be that way, but that's the way that it is right now. Thank you, Gonzo. And this is an article I think all of our listeners are going to be interested in. The Chamber of, uh, let me get this correct, actually. I don't want to butcher the name. The Chamber of Digital Commerce published an article on the Ripple versus SEC ruling. And there was a couple of key takeaways that I found interesting, but the institutional sales narrative is one that's going to become very important over the next 12 months. On July 13th, the U.S. District Court of Southern District of New York provided a split decision for summary judgment in the matter of the SEC versus Ripple Labs case. The question before the court was whether Ripple and its executives' distribution of XRP tokens constituted as sales of securities. And this would be in violation of the U.S. securities law and what law applies to such distributions. The court analyzed the XRP token distributions in three separate categories described below. The court examined the relevant uh, undistributed facts and applied the Howey test to determine whether the distribution of tokens was an offer of an investment contract. Now, as you can see, Ripple won on two of these big sales, so we're going to skip those portions and go into what they lost. Institutional sales were determined an SEC win by Judge Torres as the court ruled that the Howey test is satisfied and Ripple's direct sales of XRP to certain counterparties constituted as securities transactions. So, Johnny, the reason that I'm bringing this up is could this be another hurdle when it comes to launching an ETF or seeing adoption in the United States? If Ripple can't offer XRP directly to institutions, is that going to prevent them from expanding their business? Yeah, that's exactly what I just said. That's what my fear is, is because of that ruling, that element right there. And if the escrow that they have available constitutes or falls under that definition, then that is going to be a problem because now they've got 48 billion XRP that theoretically they can't sell it without it being considered security. So I, 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 that would have been a great question to ask Jeremy Hogan is what, you know, is that kind of locked up there? And, you know, and if, and if I think I saw like somebody had said in the chat, you know, that they release a billion and then they get 800 million back, that means only 200 million is bought. Johnny, your mic's rubbing up against your shirt. We can't hear you too well. Oh, sorry. So I was saying that, that, you know, maybe it could be for that reason that you're seeing a lot of the escrow being returned. I mean, I think 800 million of the, of the 1 billion was returned back this month. So uh, that means nobody's buying it, right? And maybe it's for that reason. I, I don't know. That's an attorney question. I do want to be fair because I've been reading these XRP market reports for several years, Gonzo. Traditionally, Ripple only sells 170 million of the 1 billion that's released from the escrow every month. So it's on par the fact that they're actually returning 800 million XRP back into the escrow. It's not that their business is being prevented. It's that it's just par for the course as far as I can understand. And I also want to preface this by using a custody service. Now you can talk, you can call it a third party, like an exchange such as Coinbase, but if they use a custody service like Medico, that could be another way to get around these, I guess, illegal securities offerings, which is pretty, pretty funny. But Gonzo, I do want to get your take and I'll follow up. I think you bring up a good point. Johnny does too, right? We need to see how the escrow comes into play. But you bring up another good factor, right? Is 
like if you do custody a certain way and create a third party, does that change things? I think the good thing is this, is now that they know what the rule is, they can create a workaround, right? Because before they were just kind of up in the air. So, but now that you have some kind of guidelines, now they can focus on the workaround, whether that's the escrow or like you said, using a third party custody thing. Um, now that you have kind of a rule, they can now focus on a workaround. And I think they're going to find a workaround, right? Because these banks, they want to use this technology. So they're going to find a way. And whether it's through an appeals process or they just find the workaround because they know what the rules are now, um, I think they'll get it done. And this is the video. Hey, of Abs. Yeah. Ab, before you hop in, this is a great question. So somebody says, why won't the banks just purchase XFP from the secondary market? So the problem with that is think if a bank wants to go and buy Five billion XRP because they're going to want a large chunk of it. They're not going to buy small peanuts like you and me retail, right? Do you know what that would do to the price of XRP if they tried to buy five billion on the market right now? They wouldn't be buying it at seventy nine cents. We'd right? be rich. Yeah, and so that's why the answer to your question, Jeremy. Uh, thank you for the question. Is that th that's why there's dark pools and they buy off the secondary markets or behind the scenes. They buy big chunks and pools of it so it doesn't drive the price up. You know, to the point where you, you just can't buy that much without driving the price up. That's going to drive it uh, way beyond where it is. And so, the, you know, nobody's going to do that. It's just not also, how it works. Also, the exchange rate too, Johnny Crypto, just to add to what you said there, if they go to Coinbase and they want to purchase half a billion XRP, they're going to pay up to 1%, bare minimum, 1% and fees can be as high as 3%. To what's 3% of $500 million? Plus, they're gonna, it's going to drive the price too high. Abs. They're not going to do it. It's yep. not going to happen. This is why you have dark pools and backroom sales and institutional sales and ODL sales and all that. That's where that stuff happens. And that's probably why they sat on half the escrow. And 100% agree with Gonzo. Now that they know the rule, they should, they, you know, Ripple has very smart people and expensive attorneys. They should be able to figure out how do I go and sell this without making a promise that it's going to go up in price. Because once you make a promise that it's going to go up in price, that's going to consider going to be considered the Howey test. So it's going to fail it and they're going to be considered a security. So maybe they just don't make the promise. You know, I don't know. Again, as we said earlier, it's all about the pitch and how you pitch it. So if they're smart and they got expensive attorneys, they should be able to figure out how to pitch it properly. So that isn't the case or worst case, scenario, they can just go outside the U S and do it. Spot on Johnny. And this is a video I'm going to end the show on here. This is how important the ripple ruling is. It really speaks for itself. The latest ruling against Ripple, um, uh, which was partly in favor of uh, Ripple, which was partly not in favor of Ripple, as I think created even more cons uh, uh, confusion, because basically what the judge said is that the native tokens issued by this uh, a cryptocurrency called uh, Ripple, if they are sold to uh, institutional investors, those do count as securities. Um, but if they are sold on open exchanges to retail investors, they are not. So uh, we have even less clarity right now on what exactly a crypto, a crypto asset uh, should be defined as and therefore how it should be regulated. So I think at a minimum, some clarity is going to be essential. Sounds like a Bitcoin maxi to me, Johnny, but we got like 30 seconds here. You just give me your take and I'm obviously kidding. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, absolutely, you know, for, for me, it's going to come down to what constitutes uh, uh, institutional sales versus not institutional sales. That is really the, the thing here that is on the mind of everybody. He was just regurgitating what we have there, Abs.
Thank you, guys. And I want to remind our listeners, this Sunday, 8.30 p.m. Eastern, we're going to be having a Twitter Spaces, and we call these our Merlin Market Updates. Our special guest is going to be Quincy Jones, so get ready for a great conversation. We got 448 live listeners here. Show us some love. Smash that like button. We'll see you guys in 23 hours. And like we always say, Warriors, guys, get the shit together, baby. Thank you for joining us. Let's go. Let's go.